And that's just what was happening in the book of Hosea. If you'll turn to it in your Bibles, that would be the state of affairs 800 years before the birth of Christ. When you turn to the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, Daniel, Hosea, Hosea comes after the book of Daniel, you are going back 800 years before the birth of, of Jesus. Israel, 800 years before the birth of Christ, was much like our culture today. Idolatrous, morally bankrupt, perversion on parade, spiritually backslidden. What was the number one movie of 1959? What was the number one Oscar award-winning movie that aired in 1959? Number one Oscar award-winning movie until the movie Titanic came out. Anybody know? Ben-Hur. My wife and I watched it for the umpteenth time this past week, and boy, did we have a wonderful time together. Wow! Man, they knew how to make movies back then. And what do we have today? Fifty Shades of Grey. God help us. Let me just say real quickly, that's not the thrust of this message, but no Christian, no real Christian would ever even entertain reading that book or attending that, that rot. In the name of Jesus. Don't even entertain that. It just shows how low our culture has gone. And that's the state of affairs with Israel 800 years before Christ in the book of Hosea in your Bible. Right in the midst of sinful Israel, a young couple barely out of their, their teens and twenties. A young couple uh, fell in love, the Bible says. The young man was a preacher. The girl, well, the girl had a little bit of a questionable reputation. You know, you know some of those girls that they talk about at school? All, you know, the girls that all the guys want to take out, but nobody wants to take home to mama. One of those girls that, not literally, but she could, because of her behavior, her promiscuity, her bad track record, could kind of wear a sign that says, cheap, but used. This is the kind of girl Hosea fell in love with. And the gossip that was going around that tiny town in the hill country of Ephraim in Israel, oh, it was buzzing. But God gave clearance to this prophet, this man of God, this preacher, God gave clearance to Hosea to marry her. Do you remember her name? We know the name of Hosea, the preacher. The name of this young lady was Gomer. Gomer. Not the Beverly Hillbillies Gomer. 
It's an actual Bible name of this girl here in the Bible. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go and marry a wife who is not faithful in marriage and have children from that woman. For the land is guilty of not being faithful to the Lord. They didn't have TV back then. They didn't have movies. So God was going to use that relationship as a living sermon to the whole nation of Israel. And it was not only going to be a sermon to Israel, it was going to be a revelation of God's love for his people, a revelation of God's love for you and I that are here this morning. We continue with my message series, Lifetime Lovers. This morning I share a word that uh, is aptly called the preacher, the prostitute, and 50 shades of grace. Father, in the name of Jesus, seal this word into our spirits this morning. Lord, help us to hear what your word and your Holy Spirit is saying to us in this hour. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, news of the engagement between the prophet Hosea and a young lady of disrepute. Oh, it must have been the hot gossip at the village well. Hosea is marrying Gomer. If you're following along with me in notes, the study guide, fill in that blank. Marrying Gomer. Oh, Hosea dearly loved this woman despite her background. He believed in her. Hosea gave her a home. He gave her his family name. And Gomer responded to Hosea's love by loving him as well. For some years they had a happy home, a, a loving wife. Hosea and Gomer had two boys and a girl birthed to them. The town gossip had finally died down and, and seemingly Hosea and Gomer uh, were a fine example of a home that not only survived but thrived in Israel at that time with real love. But then Hosea came home one day only to discover his wife wasn't there. I can imagine him calling, Honey, honey, where are you? And probably like me, he tried calling her on the cell phone. No answer, because my wife never answers her cell phone. <laughs> We're working through that. <laughs> oh, you too. You have that problem too, huh? No answer. He looks in the closet. All of her clothes are gone. All of her things, her makeup, her jewelry, her possessions, they're gone. Gomer is gone. Not even a note. Then Hosea received the most heartbreaking, gut-wrenching news that any spouse could ever receive. His wife, the mother of their dear three children, is living with another man. Can you even imagine the hurt, the feelings of betrayal, the rejection? She's shocked up with, with, a, with a lover. 
I can imagine Hosea trying to phone her, trying to text her, trying to, to, to email her, Facebook her, but no response. He even goes and knocks on the door of the house, uh, demanding that she would come home, and then begging that she would come home. She just thumbs her nose at him. I don't love you anymore, she said. I've found true love. I, I've found real love here. I don't need you anymore, Hosea. And she laughs in his face. And Hosea returns home bathing his, his pillow with, with hot tears as he wails into the night. <laughs> my sweetheart, my darling, my wife, how could you? Gomer, you're gone. The Bible says that time passed and we can imagine that Hosea heard even worse news. Worse news. The news that he now heard is a nightmare. He, he could hardly believe it. Listen, when you study, when you study what sin will do to a life, when you study what rebellion will do to a life, I want you to know that when you see this within the Word of God, sin is never stagnant. It follows a spiritual law of entropy, like the second law of thermodynamics. It always goes downhill. It keeps digressing. It keeps deteriorating. Sin is like a, 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 a ravenous fire that consumes and consumes and consumes and devours. It's never satisfied. Like the story of the prodigal son who went from bad to worse. This is what Hosea hears about his wife. Hosea hears that uh, her boyfriend, uh, her boyfriend has now rejected her. Her boyfriend has now kicked Gomer out. Uh, and, and Gomer uh, has now gone off to other lovers. Mark it down. After Gomer had exhausted her stay with other lovers, she's put out in the street penniless. So the Bible says she resorted to selling her body to any paying customer. As what? As a prostitute. As a prostitute. You don't believe me? Look at Hosea chapter 2 verse 2. Uh, plead with your mother. Plead with her. Hosea writes, she no longer acts like my wife. She no longer treats me like her husband. Tell her to stop acting like a prostitute. The woman who became pregnant with them did shameful things. She said, I'll chase after my lovers. They will give me food and water, wool and linen, olive oil and wine. Becky and I can tell you, oh, we could write a book about pastoring here at Lakeside Assembly of God. Early on in our pastorate, we were locking up the church. We were shutting the lights off after a Sunday morning service, and we heard noise back in the Sunday school classrooms. We went back there to find three little children. We said, who are you? What's your last name? Where's your parents? Our parents aren't here. We don't know where they are. And I asked for the last name, and... 
I was able to look up the phone number. I called the phone number, got a hold of the dad, and the dad came and I said, what is going on? How could you leave your children at church? He said, I have to, to work today, pastor, and I wanted to make sure my children are in church. But here's the other half of the story. My wife's back on drugs again, and to be able to feed and fuel her drug problem, she's prostituting herself in downtown Detroit. Hosea, Hosea knew all about this. He experienced this preacher, this prophet, experienced it firsthand. What can, what can we say about this? You, you know, in my dealings with men and women, there is a difference. If man was created from the dust of the earth, then a woman who has been created from man is doubly refined. If a man being created first is God's rough draft, a woman is God's masterpiece. But conversely, Conversely, on the other hand, if a woman goes bad, just on one hand, she's doubly refined. You show me a woman that goes bad, and she becomes doubly degraded and doubly corrupted. I can point out all kinds of cases where kids have grown up with a, a father that's gone bad, and they've made it. But I cannot think of one situation that I can point out to you where the mother has gone bad and those children have been able to survive and thrive. There's something, there's something about it when a woman goes bad. Hosea, Hosea in his trauma, he sought God for direction. Surely we would think God would, would tell Hosea, Hosea, you did your best. Uh, Hosea, go on to another life. Hosea, go on to another wife. But that's not the answer that Hosea got. Have you read the book of Hosea? If you haven't, you need to go home today and read the whole book of Hosea. It's a short book. God didn't tell Hosea to go on to another life, another wife. God told Hosea to search out his bride, to seek out his bride, to find her, to restore her, and then forgive her. Forgive her. Mark it down in your notes. Jesus basically taught it would not be a matter of if, people would hurt us but when but when Luke 17 verse 1 offenses Jesus said they're going to come offenses will come in this life I don't look for it but you can count on it people are going to hurt you people are going to disappoint you people are going to offend you you heard about the man that was on his deathbed. You heard about the, 
the husband that was gasping out his last breaths and and he he motioned for his wife to come close to his mouth so he could speak some of his last words his will and testament into her ear and uh, his wife bent her head down and inclined her ear and he said honey honey a month after I'm gone I want you to promise me something she said what anything I want you to promise me to marry Tom Tom why do you want me to marry Tom because I want Tom to experience what I've experienced what do you mean Tom is your worst enemy I want Tom to be able to experience the 47 years I've experienced. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's said, it is said so very clearly that the closer the relationship, the more severe the offense, the closer the relationship, the greater the hurt. Perhaps like Hosea, your hurt has come through marriage. Maybe it began as a beautiful wedding, but it's unraveled as an ugly marriage. You expected romantic walks and talks, but what you got were bad moods and a controller who said, my way or the highway. Perhaps you expected a cheerleader, your greatest fan, Someone to admire you, respect you, encourage you, and lift you up. But what you got was pouting, silent treatments, and, and demeaning cutdowns. You expected loving affection, romantic affection. You got terrible outbursts of anger, threatening ultimatums. And perhaps at times you even played the punching bag. You expected a forever love. But you got someone who went out looking for love in all the wrong places. You expected till death do us part. You got until divorce do us part. Or perhaps your heartache hasn't been your marriage. Perhaps your heartache's been your child. You remember praying over them while they were still in your wife's womb. You remember clearly joining me down here at this altar as I lifted up your baby, your child, and displayed your child before the congregation and blessed your child. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You had such dreams for your baby. You had such hopes for your child uh, to grow up in church, to grow up as a man or a woman of God. Yet somehow, somewhere, rebellion reared its ugly head. And that little life that promised so much joy, that little life that had promised so much hope has not only grown into one big disappointment, but one great bitterness at the root of your soul. Write it down. Offense is one of Satan's deadliest traps 
for our lives. One of the deadliest traps for our lives. You know, whether, no matter how cold it is outside, how deep the snow, guess what, guess what, guess what's just right around the corner? Green grass with springs, lawns, lawns for us to keep, to fertilize, and to mow. Lawns for us to put insecticide down upon, and uh, lawns to, to, to put down all kinds of chemicals and treatments and uh, services uh, in the area to, to, to be able to equip us to have the greatest, the finest lawn on the street. At least that's my ambition. I'm already looking, you know, but don't complain about the snow. Uh, I always say what's nice about the snow is that you don't have to do any lawn work. <laughs> One of the greatest problems I have ever had with my grass, my lawn, is not some disease, not insects, but moles. I hate moles. I have had my front lawn, my side lawn, my back lawns uh, uh, all torn up by moles. I hope you're looking at pictures right now on your cell phones of moles. That way you're able to follow along with the sermon. Amen. Excellent. Sometimes they think that, you know, up here I can't see the cell phones being passed or the pictures being passed. I do. Yeah. Bring up a picture of a mole. That'd be great. Good. Then you can follow along. Oh, they tear up the lawn. They, they, uh, and so I went, I went, I went to the hardware store, and there, oh, it was like, it was golden. It was wonderful. I said, Lord, you have led me to this kiosk. Mole traps. Big steel. Wicked, ugly, sharp, uh, sadistic, uh, brutal. Mole trap. Oh, I can't wait to get that in the ground. So I put it out there, and guess what happened to the moles? Huh? I, I mean, I would sit out on my porch with my coffee, just yearning to see that thing go. You say, oh, man, preacher, you're, you know, you're pretty, you're pretty vicious. Hey, you don't know what those moles did to my lawn. My, my, I, I, I mean, I'd water it, and the mole burrows were so high, it was damming up the water. I had a lake out there. I mean, it was bad. Uh, I mean, I had moles carrying away my children. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. Uh, I mean, big things, big things. And I was waiting for that trap to come down. Guess what that trap did for me? It didn't kill one blessed mole. And all of you animal lovers can just, you know, have a spiritual experience right now. Not one blessed mole. That trap never did work. I, I, I mean, I had all kinds of people telling me all kinds of methods. Uh, nothing worked. They just moved on. Uh, I just walked over the ground and made them move on to my neighbor's lawn. Yeah. Traps. What's the lethal part of a trap? What is the most... What is the most dangerous, lethal part of, of a trap? 
The Greek word for offense or offend in Luke 17 verse 1, the Greek word is scandalon. Scandalon. It refers to the part of the trap to which the bait, the bait is attached. The power behind a trap is not its strength. The power behind a trap is not the steel that it's made from. It's not the sharp pointed edges of the razor-like sharpness of a trap. The power, the strength of a trap is bound up in its deception. That's what makes a trap lethal. Deception. The fact that you can be fooled, blindsided, deceived. And that's just how the devil attacks us with offenses. We are often blindsided by the hurts, by the anger, by the cut downs, by the backstabbing, the betrayal, the, reject, the rejection of others. Offenses often come from those from whom we least expect. We can then be deceived into thinking that those who hurt us, we can have revenge against them. Those who hurt us now owe us. Mark it down in your notes this morning. An unforgiving spirit short circuits, short circuits not only your prayer life, but any hope for miracles and far worse, it will sever your relationship with God. You cannot, you cannot walk with an unforgiving spirit and also walk with God. God refuses to have children unlike himself. The Bible says in Mark 11, listen to me, you can pray for anything and if you believe you have it, but it, it's yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive you your sins too. I have people come in to me for counseling. Pastor, pray for my marriage to be restored. Pastor, pray for me to have a miracle. I said, I'll pray for a miracle when you pray that you'll walk in forgiveness that you'll live with a spirit of forgiveness this is vital for a marriage this is the missing quotient in so many families and marriages Peter said this in 1 Peter 3 7 you husbands must be careful of your wives being sensitive thoughtful of their needs remember that you and your wife are both partners in receiving what? God's blessing. If you don't treat her as you should, what will happen? Your prayers will not get ready answers. Jesus goes on the heart of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see that there. Just as long as you refuse to forgive, just that long, your prayers go unanswered and you remain unforgiven. And if rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, an unforgiving spirit is satanic. And if an unforgiving spirit is not repented of, if it goes unchecked, it'll send you to hell. What's the greatest factor for a successful marriage and family? What's the greatest factor to have a happy home, a successful marriage and family? 
One of the greatest factors for being a lifetime lover and enjoying a successful marriage, family, and life, hear me in this, is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Listen. Listen. I'll be transparent. Your pastor, I mess up quite a bit with this young lady. And I have been able to survive and thrive and be blessed in our home because she is such a forgiver of me. Uh, forgiveness. I haven't married the perfect spouse and she definitely hasn't married the perfect spouse. Forgiveness is the oil that reduces and eliminates the friction of any home relationship and any marriage. Peter came to Jesus and said, how many times, how many times, uh, Lord, should I forgive? Seven times? Now, Peter really thought he was pretty cool, pretty saintly by saying that. He was expecting a pat on the back because in that day and time, if you forgave somebody just once, you were a good man. If you forgave somebody twice, twice, it is said that uh, uh, you were a holy man. And if you forgave somebody three times, you were godlike. So Peter thought seven times, surely must... Oh, Jesus is going to be my greatest cheerleader. Jesus looked him in the eye and said, Peter, I say unto you, forgive seventy times seven how much is that? No, that's infinite. When Jesus said 70 times 7, he wasn't saying, wait till the 491st time and then give it to him. <laughs> no, no, that was literary hyperbole. That was exaggerate. That was a way of saying infinite. That was saying, keep forgiving until it becomes a holy habit. Make forgive, forgiveness a holy habit in your marriage and in your family. And watch what God will do. When forgiveness becomes a holy habit, when patience and loving kindness and being long-suffering with one another in your marriage and family becomes a holy habit, you open the door to the miraculous. You open up the door for God to heal. You open up the door for God to work on your marriage, to work on your, your family, to answer your prayers. But just as long as you keep resentment, a grudge, and a bitterness towards that one, just that long, God's deaf to your prayers. And God has bound himself not to answer the prayer of the unforgiving spirit. What can we say about real forgiveness? Mark it down. I'm going to move quick now. Real forgiveness is immediate. Stop telling me that you won't forgive until you have the feelings of forgiveness. Forgiveness is an act of your obedience. It's an act of your will, not an act of your feelings. Thirdly, when you've been hurt, real forgiveness releases others from what they owe you. Have you ever heard somebody say, you owe me? You owe me an apology. It's interesting how we put reconciliation in the context of economic terms. You owe me. What's 
at what's the root word for forgive? What's at the heart of the word forgive? Give. When you forgive somebody, you're going to give them something. You're going to give them release from what they owe you. You're going to give them release from your revenge, your retaliation, your resentment, your grudge, your, your bitterness towards them. Yes! At the heart of forgive is the word give. That's what God is all about. For God so loved the world that He gave. Mark it down. Real forgiveness forgets. Real forgiveness forgets. A senior citizen, a senior citizen, a senior citizen did what many of you are dreaming about. He retired to Florida. And once he got down to Florida, he did a crazy thing. He saw a flaming fire engine red Corvette there in the dealership. He said, I want it and I'm going to buy it. And he walked in and bought it. He took off after the paperwork was done and the plates were slapped on that vehicle and he's going down that Florida turnpike and, and he was doing 60, he was doing 70 as the hair was, his hair was blowing in the wind as he had the top down. He said, I wonder what it's like when you do 80. I wonder what it's like when you do 90. He's doing 110 and having the time of his life. And then all of a sudden the bubblegum machine. He saw it in his rearview mirror, and something crazy took a hold of him. Instead of pulling over, he put the pedal to the metal. Now he's doing 120, 140 miles an hour. He said, am I out of my mind? He pulled over. Florida State Trooper walked up in big leather boots and said, Sir, as he looked down at the old man, Sir, I'm at the end of my shift. If you've got a good excuse, we can both have a win-win situation here. Old man didn't know what to say, and he looked up at him, and he said, You know, three years ago, my wife ran off with a state trooper, and I thought you were bringing her back. <laughs> Officer looked down at him and said, Get out of here. <laughs> Mark it down. Real forgiveness forgets. Real forgiveness forgets. Well, preacher, I can't forgive and I can't forget. Then I hope you'll never sin. Because the moment the Lord accepted you back into his arms, he forgave. 110% of your sins. And the Bible says one thing that God cannot do, one thing that God cannot do is remember our sins against us. He has forgotten your past. He has forgotten your sins. You need to do so as well. But, but pastor, I, I can't forget the hurt. How do you forget the hurt? You can remember with release 
instead of remembering with resentment. When you allow the Lord to do a work of forgiveness in your heart, you're able to look back on that with pardon, release, forgiveness. Mark it down, real forgiveness is freeing. Real forgiveness is freeing. Forgiveness is not, not for the, the one who has victimized you. Forgiveness heals you. Forgiveness cleanses you from the toxic poison of bitterness, rage, and resentment. Forgiveness frees you. But how about this one? Write this one down. Real forgiveness in relational restoration expects a change. Yes, for real freedom, we need to forgive everyone and we need to forgive every hurt. But, but, if this individual wants to take up relationship with God, if this individual who has been the victimizer, the offender, if they want to take up relationship with you again in marriage, if they want to take up relationship with you as your son or your daughter, real forgiveness, hear me in this, saints, expects change. Christian, you're not to be a doormat. Jesus himself said, be harmless as a dove, but wise as a serpent. What did Jesus say to the woman that was caught in adultery? Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more. Forgiveness expected a change. Forgiveness does not, does not, does not keep people in their sins. Forgiveness is not a license to sin. Wives, Husbands, if your spouse comes back to you and says, will you forgive me for my extramarital affairs, for my adultery? You need to say to them, yes, I will forgive you if you will change your life, if you'll stop this adulterous pattern. But if you don't, I'll give you your walking papers. If a homosexual son, if a lesbian daughter looks you in the eye, mom and dad, and says, I want your forgiveness. You need to forgive them. But, but, with the condition that they will repent and they will align their life with the word of God. Or you become an accomplice to their sin. You begin to compromise. You equivocate. You cop out. You cave in on the word of God. And you one day will not answer that son or a daughter. You're going to answer to God one day. And being faithful to his word. Tell them, yes, I will forgive you if you change. If you rid yourself of the sin that will destroy your soul. Forgiveness does not give a license to sin. Forgiveness does not accept an alternative lifestyle. Granting forgiveness without expecting change 
becomes a license to sin. And that kind of forgiveness is not found in the Bible. Jesus didn't teach it. Neither did Paul or the apostles. Lastly, real forgiveness is only possible by letting Jesus be Jesus in you. When you have been so deeply, deeply hurt, year in and year out, when the viciousness goes so deep, the betrayal, the rejection, are etched so markedly on your heart, I agree with you. It's impossible for you in and of yourself to truly forgive because it goes so deep. That's why you need a greater power. That's why we sing the song, Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. There have been times I can't forgive because the hurt goes so deep. And I, but I can invite the one who hung upon the cross. The one who on the cross as they were spitting on him, crucify him. The one who said, Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You need to have that person and that power forgiving through you. And forgiveness will be made complete. I said forgiveness will be made complete. Yes, yes. It said we're most like beasts when we kill we're most like men when we judge. But we're the most like Jesus when we forgive. Praise the Lord. Well, the book of Hosea relates that Gomer went from bad to worse. Read the book. It went from bad to worse from being a call girl to selling herself into human trafficking. A, a, a sex slavery ring. We can imagine what she must have looked like now. She no longer can smear the makeup on because now she's penniless. Her beauty's gone. She's now a diseased, used and abused piece of human property, treated like a piece of garbage. She's an ugly crone, an old hag. The Bible says that the wages of sin is... Don't you think that's a quick death? When you follow the highway to hell, that's a slow death. It will affect you mentally, physically, as well as spiritually. It's a slow, degrading, deteriorating death. Hosea kept asking questions. Hosea, I can imagine, put up posters all around, missing with Gomer's picture on it. He kept asking and searching and interviewing. Uh, have you seen my wife? Have you seen Gomer? And then one day he heard that there was going to be a slave auction in a neighboring city. He wondered, could Gomer be there? 
He got together every piece, uh, uh, every dollar bill, everything of value that he could lay his hands on in the moment. And he went racing to the city, searching. Could it be? Could it be? Could it be that my sweetheart bride? I've been looking for your attention, sir, the whole service. God's speaking to you this morning, and you're not listening. Please listen. Searching in village after village, but now he had found, he had found the slave auction. Could it be that Gomer, Gomer would be there as he entered the city square? He began to hear that which assaulted his senses. The raucous laughter, the dirty jokes, the vulgarity, the profanity, the obscenities. But he was determined. He would find, he would find his sweetheart. He searched on the auction block. No, no, no. As he saw the wretched vestiges of filthy human beings who had been stripped of their clothes and bound together with, with, with chains as they stood there on the auction block, his heart fell. No! She's not. Wait a minute. Could it be her? And there she stood. Her head bowed low. She's disheveled. She's dirty. She's filthy. A bag of bones. Is that my Gomer? And he went racing towards the auction block and went to embrace her. And suddenly, a crack of a whip came as the auctioneer said, If you want her, you're going to have to buy her. Hosea got his things together and he began calling Gomer sweetheart darling it's me your Hosea could you put yourself in her shoes could, could it be is that my, my long lost husband why would he even want me I'm of no value. I'm nothing. I, I, I have disrespected him. I've shamed his family. What is he doing here? Oh, is there any hope? I can imagine a man standing off in the distance watching the whole scene and thinking, I can't stand prophets. I can't stand preachers. I'm going to make sure he doesn't win the bid. So the bidding starts. The auctioneer brings out Gomer and says, What would you bid for this? Immediately, Hosea shouts out, 13 shekels of silver. 13 shekels. The man over here says, 14. I'll bid 14. Hosea. 15 shekels of silver. 
The man over here, 15 shekels and a bushel of barley. Hosea, 15 shekels, a bushel, and a half of barley. It was all that he had. Auctioneer looked over. There were no other bids. The hammer came down. Sold for 15 pieces of silver, a bushel and a half of barley. It was all that Hosea had. He had given his all. He had given his best. And now, and now, he owns his wife. He literally owns her by buying her. The Bible says in Hosea 3.2, So I bought her for myself for 15 pieces of silver and a bushel and a half of barley. I said to her, You shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the prostitute. And you shall not be with any other man. I will also be so toward you. Do you see the love there? Hosea as I said, now owned his wife. He could do anything with her that he desired. But rather than vengeance, rather than retaliating towards her, the Bible says he clothed her. He restored her. He brought her home and he cared for her. He made her the mother of her, his children, their children once again. And he crowned her as the darling of his heart. For you that have eyes to see, you now understand why God put this story, this love story in the Bible. God's purposes were far beyond Hosea and Gomer. God's purposes was to reach down through the corridors of time and knock upon your heart's door even this morning. In Revelation 3.20 we hear what? Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will open up unto me, I will come in unto him, and I will sup, I will fellowship with him, and know him. Write it down, Hosea's experience with Gomer was meant to be a living parable on how God has redeemed you and I. God has redeemed you and I. The Bible says that you are not your own. You have been bought at a price. You have not been redeemed with silver or gold. You have not been redeemed with 15 pieces of silver. You have not been redeemed with a bushel and a half of barley. You have been redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood. They lose all their guilty stains. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found blind, but now I see. 
I see. We've been redeemed not with silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Why we have been unfaithful, why we have been adulterers spiritually, He has always been and always will be faithful. He never gives up on you. He never stops searching for you. You and I were in the slave market of sin. You and I were in bondage to the enemy. We were blind. We were lost. We were without hope on a high way to hell but the lover of our soul came into the slave market of sin uh, and he has bound uh, the enemy he has bound the slave master of sin uh, he has set you and I free for he who the son sets free is free indeed and even though the Lord knows the worst about you and I he never stops loving you he never stops searching for you. He never stops seeking for you. He knows right where you're at right now. And he knocks upon your heart's door. What will you do with the love of Jesus? What will you do with the love of Jesus? This morning, what will you do with the one who said, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Father, I ask and pray even right now in the name of Jesus as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Oh God, Oh God, give us a fresh revelation of your love for us. Without you, we're lost. Without you, Jesus, there's no hope. Without you, we're on a highway. A highway to hell. Lord, some of us are bound by habits. We're enslaved in the slave market of sin. Some could be bound by drugs. Some could be bound by fear. Some could be bound by pride. But either way, Lord, we're enslaved. You know the worst about us, and yet you still love us. You love us desperately. And you've already paid for us through your shed blood at the cross. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And I ask you the question of all questions. So what will you do with that kind of love? This morning, as God sees every heart, as God knows us better than we know ourselves, we have an opportunity to go on record as rejecting His love or accepting His love. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer of salvation. If you would like to be included in this prayer, 
If you would like to know that you know that you know you're right with God and you have a home in heaven and every sin has been washed away and you can be made brand new, a clean slate, if that's you, if you would like to be included in this prayer I'm about to pray, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just lift up your hand right now as a sign of your faith. Just lift it up high so that I can see it. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Yes, thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. How many more? Lift it up high that I can see it. Christians are praying here this morning. Precious Jesus, I want to go on record, Lord, is accepting you, not rejecting your love. Precious Jesus, lift it up high to Jesus. Amen. Keep your hands up if you would and pray this prayer with me right now. I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud, but especially those that have their hands lifted up. I want you to own this prayer and make it your own. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you came into the slave market the slave market of sin. You sought me. You bought me with your precious blood. And you have set me free. I receive that right now. As I believe it. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that has redeemed my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for your resurrection. Resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for changing me, healing me, for setting me free. I thank you, Lord, that I am redeemed. In the name of Jesus, I receive this as I believe it. Amen.